Christian. And we're speaking about the meaning of a truly Christian life. So in Philippians chapter number four, we spoke last week, I mentioned that when I was a kid, there was a song that we would sing. And that song went, well, I won't sing it for you, but it was, I am a, who remembers that? I am a, I am a C. Who sang that when they were a kid or at some point you sang that song? I am a C, I am a C-H, I am a, you can do it with me, I am a C-H-R-A-S-T-I-A-N, for I have C-H-R-A-S-T in my H-E-A-R-T, and I will L-I-V-E-E-T-E-R-N-A-L-L-Y. You spell that all out, work on it, and you'll catch up to that in a few minutes now. I am a Christian, and we looked last week in the book of Acts where the Bible said it was in the city of Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. Now, remember, it wasn't that they called themselves Christians, it's that they were called Christians. And I don't know which is more significant. Which is, I, I don't know if, if one is more significant than the other, but it ought to be true in our lives that not only we stand up and say, I am a C, I am a Christian, but that other people look at us and say, that is a Christian. That person right there, they're Christian. And so it's possible to be a Christian. It's possible to be a Christian, but not fully experience the, the, all of the meaning and depth of what it is to really walk with Jesus Christ and follow him. So last week, the theme was, what is your why? And we talked about Paul's statement that the love of Christ constrained him. And that was the why of his life. But this morning, I want to look a little bit more internally, and you'll see on your handout that the topic of the message is healthy souls or developing a healthy soul. And I really want to focus on what should the state of mind, what should the inner person of a Christian be like? And so to not get ahead of myself, let's just read our main text this morning. We're going to look at verses four through nine, but I'd like to begin in verse number seven. So if you'd focus your attention with me in Philippians 4 and verse number seven, let's read this together out loud. The Bible says, begin, ready? And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now just listen to it once more. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let's think about this this morning. Healthy souls. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much that we've had a, we have this time this morning. We thank you that we, we have a copy of the scriptures in front of us. We thank you that you've made Jesus yourself known to us. So I pray that this morning that you'd minister to each heart in a way that only you can. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You notice a few key things. If you're somebody who circles or makes notes in your Bible or on your handout or whatever, I'm looking at words in verse number seven like peace, right? Wouldn't that obviously be a big highlight? It's the peace of God that we're talking about. As you study the scriptures, you'll find the theme of peace occurs numerous times over and over again. In fact, I don't have time this morning to walk you through that, but if you just have any kind of Bible app and later on you just put the word peace in the search of your Bible app and you look at just the New Testament references, 
you know, I'm getting ready to preach the message, and I was astounded at how many references to peace there are in the New Testament. And here, this is a key passage in understanding it, but I'm not just, obviously, I'm, I'm focusing in on peace and then this idea that it passes understanding, that there's a peace that only comes from God that, from a human standpoint, doesn't make any sense. We can't even completely understand it. But then there's another couple of words that really stand out to me, and that's the statement, it's going to keep your hearts and minds. Just look at it. The, the peace of God that passes understanding, what does it, what does it result, what is the result of God's peace in our lives? It keeps, it secures, it establishes, it guards, it protects what? Our bodies? No, our hearts and our minds. I thought about this, and really, if you are paying attention to the world around you today, you'll find that we are in a moment where there is unprecedented discussion of people's mental health. Have you found that to be the case? It's everywhere. It's discussed in, it's discussed in, uh, in pop culture. It's discussed on the news. It's discussed, I was just in a workplace training, actually, this past week. And it was a major topic in our training. Now, I don't believe that mental health is a new problem. And I don't think you do either. I think we finally just got to the point where people are willing to speak about it. But it's a topic all over. And people are turning to lots of different things. And so I just wanted to, to take the scripture this morning. As we're thinking about living a truly Christian life, the Christian life is not just about doing this and not doing that or uh, going to heaven and escaping hell. It actually, the Bible and walking with Jesus gives us answers for how we walk through our todays and tomorrows and the situations that we face right here and right now. Now, I want to give a disclaimer. You all ready for the disclaimer? This is going to shock you. You're, you're, you're braced. For this. I am not a doctor. Everybody good with that now? We've established that, okay? Whenever you talk about something like, but I think it's important because there are many a Bible teacher or Christian pastor who have overstepped their bounds when it comes to these things. And so I'm going to be very careful not to, to uh, overstep my bounds. The point this morning is this. I'm not going to, for one thing, we're not talking about medical conditions at all. What we're speaking about is emotional psychological and social well-being. I'm not talking about medical diagnoses or anything like that. That's between you and your doctor, and I respect that and understand that God has given us different skills and sciences for us to understand, and I think that's a blessing of the Lord. But what I do want to say is this. There is a, to treat the, the psychological and medical components of someone's overall well-being but to neglect the spiritual spiritual would be a serious malpractice, don't you agree? That all of it's not it, the point is this, our spiritual condition, the condition of our soul has an effect on us. And really you say, well, Ethan, where in the world are you getting this from? I want you to see that. It's the phrase here in Philippians chapter four, it's that the peace of God keeps our hearts and our minds. Now you realize this. When he says the heart and the mind, 
Is he speaking of the material or the immaterial? What do you think? I mean, because you have a material heart, don't you? Pumps blood. You have a material mind that is your brain. How many of you think that that's exactly what he's speaking about the material aspect right here? Who thinks that? All right. Well, how many of you think he's speaking about the immaterial part of the human condition? What? How come a lot of you didn't raise your hands? Right? You're, you're like, oh, you know, you're the, the, I don't like these questions. I'm not going to raise my hand. This is a setup. Well, the fact of the matter is this. I do believe he's speaking, obviously, of the immaterial part of our being. But at the same time, go without food for 24 hours and tell me about your mental state of mind. Go without sleep for a couple of days and tell me how that affects your spirit. Because the unique thing about, you see, as Christians, we don't practice Eastern mysticism. We're not focused on separating the mind and the spirit from the body. We believe that God has saved, he's created, and as Christians, he has saved all of us, mind, uh, mind and soul, spirit, and body. In fact, I want to show you this reference. It's from 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5 and verse number 23. I put this on your handout, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 23. The Bible says this, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God, your whole, say it with me, your whole spirit and, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, as Christians, we understand both from how God has created us and how God has redeemed us that we are to be spirit, soul, that we are spirit, soul, and body. Now, I'm just going to, I promise I won't take too long on this, but this is kind of laying a little bit of groundwork for the rest of the message today. As we talk about the spirit, the soul, and the body, that words, the, the Greek words there from 1 Thessalonians, the body is the soma. It is simply what you know to be your body. It's the material. It's the physical you. But it doesn't take us very long to realize, even as children, that we are not less than our physical bodies, but we are certainly more than the soma, than the physical aspect to ourselves. The second word, we're working backwards. We've gone from body to soul and spirit. The soul is the Greek word suke. Now, I don't mean to talk down to anyone, but to help us stay engaged, could you try that Greek word with me? It's the word what? There you go. You all speak Greek. It's the word suke. Now, that's kind of interesting, though. <laughs> that's kind of interesting. It is from that word that we get our word, the psyche. It's where that comes from. The Bible speaks about these things. Then there's the word spirit, referring to the spirit of man or referring to the spirit of God, and it is the pneuma. Pneuma. It means breath. It's the idea of, of life force, that there's something there. Now, sometimes I'm going to be, I want to be honest with you here as, as you understand the scriptures. Sometimes these words are used somewhat interchangeably to, to, to speak. In fact, you find for the idea of the soul, you find the heart, you find the mind, you find the soul. So there's different words to emphasize different factors. But I have us think of it this way. As human beings, we are three parts. We are both material and we are immaterial. And then we have a spiritual component. And that spiritual component is eternal. 
There's an eternal component to who we are. And so there's the body, there's the soul, and there is the spirit. So the body, obviously you're familiar with that, is the soul. That's who I am in my innermost being, my thoughts, my feelings, my mind, my emotion, my will. And we're differentiating, differentiating the spirit as the spirit is that part of me that was created to know God. Body, soul, and spirit. Now let's go back to our scripture here in Philippians 4 verse 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We're speaking about the peace of God in the heart and in the mind. So let me ask you this question this morning. As you came in, as you got in your car today, got out of bed, whatever, whatever it was, how would you describe, how would you describe the health of your soul? How would you describe your state of mind this morning? What are some words that people could use to describe their state of mind? Well, obviously the, the, the goal here, what we're aiming for is the word what? Peace. But could you say that about yourself this morning? Say, so you know what? As I walked into the church this, this morning, I, my mind was in a place of peace. My heart, my soul was at peace. Or maybe you'd use other words. Man, I'm just stressed out. Or man, I'm just really worried. I've got some pressures going on in my life, in my business, in my family life, in my relationships. I've just, it's, I'm experiencing a lot right now. Or I'm, I'm just anxious, I'm worried, I'm fearful. Obviously, we're not raising hands or anything like that, but the question is, you know, if you were right now, you would take a word to describe the health of your soul or your mind, would it be the word peace? And if it's not, let's look at the Scriptures this morning and let's be blessed. Be blessed, let's let God speak to us. You know, I'm afraid that in our modern world, we know that people are looking for this idea of peace. They're looking to escape stress, to escape anxiety, to escape, escape depression, all these things. And many people are turning to things like meditation or, or the practices of yoga or even to Buddhism and Eastern religions. And I thought to myself, why is that? And part of what I thought is maybe as a church, maybe as a church, we haven't always done the best job of presenting the life of peace to each other. In fact, sometimes churches churches and their busyness and their activities and their goals and their challenges and all of that, sometimes we have a lot more in common with the business world than we do with the spiritual world. But truly, we're supposed to be a, not an organization, but a family. And we follow the teachings of Jesus, which bring peace. So let's look at a few things here. First of all, Let's walk through the text. Back up with me now to verse number four. So the verse that we looked at, verse seven, is right in the middle of our text. But now let's back up to verse number four and let's see as Paul is giving this, this uh, um, description of the life of peace, what is the first thing he notices? And that is on the back of your handout now, we'll move through these. First of all, as believers, as Christians, 
we are able to find access to joy. We can find access to joy. Verse number four, ready? Let's read it out loud together. Begin. First word. Try it again. It is rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice. You realize this morning that joy or rejoicing is a response. It's not, a, it's not an active first step. It is a response. Something comes into your lives, like the 49ers win, and that's a cause for joy. Travis is all excited about that back there. It's a now now that's not, obviously that's not the kind of deep joy and that we're talking about this morning, but that's just a simple example that hey, something happened and my response is joy. Joy is a response. So Christians, believers, or anyone really listening to this, how can I find joy when the circumstances in my life do not elicit joy? Right? Because sometimes as we go through life, things are stacking up in our favor. Some things are going very well. And so it's easy to respond with, hey, that made me happy. That gave me joy. I can rejoice. But the fact here is the Bible says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. How can we rejoice not just when things are going well, but when the outward circumstances give us no reason to respond in joy? It's because we do have something to respond to. Or we have someone to respond to. It says here, rejoice what? in the Lord. You see, joy is not our response. Rejoicing is not the Christian response to what God has done for me. Rejoicing is the response to who God is for me. That song that we sang, the Lord is my salvation. Joy is my response, not to what God does for me, but to who God is for me. Because it doesn't matter how the circumstances in my life begins to unravel. The fact is this, I have a relationship with the God of all creation. And so one writer that I was reading as he spoke about this, he described being in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And he said when we, are, when we have Jesus Christ, we are in the realm of rejoicing. I love that statement. I just... I don't know, maybe I've got a childish imagination, but I've got this idea of this, this force field bubble around me. How many of you know what I'm, you got it? You got the mental picture in your mind? And the fact is, when I'm a Christian, I step into that realm. And stuff may get in and stuff may affect me, but nothing can change the fact that if I am in Christ, I have access to joy that comes from him because I am in the realm of rejoicing. And there can be joy. Rejoice in the Lord, and he says, always. And just in case you forgot what I meant by always, let me say it again. And again, I say, rejoice. You see, the idea that a step of, of moving toward a place of a healthy soul, a, a, a spiritual step in a direction to bring healing to your, inner, to your inner being, is to first realize that in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have access to a joy that you could find nowhere else. Secondly, this is a really practical one. Look, he goes on in the text. We're just going to we're going to work through the scripture here. So first he said to rejoice in the world always and again, rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. Verse number 5. 
Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. You say, Ethan, what is this? What is the idea of this verse? Let your moderation be known unto all men. This idea of moderation is the idea of self-control in showing kindness to others. Really, he says, you know, as believers, because we have this source of joy in the Lord, we ought to be a people known. We ought to be a people known for practicing kindness with others. That's this word moderation. Let your moderation. Listen, let's be honest. How many of you came into your Christian life with a bit of a temper? Anybody out there willing to admit it this morning? Okay. There's a few of you. You came into your Christian life with a bit of a temper. And how many of you still see that flare up sometimes in your Christian life, right? But the fact is this, we cannot be angry at everyone around us and simultaneously experience the peace of God in our hearts, right? We can't lean on the horn, and hopefully it stops there, but we can't lean on the horn and then expect the peace of God to be flowing through us. You see, we as believers are to... Isn't it amazing? My wife reminds me of this a lot, actually. She says, she reminds me, she says, hey, and this is in a, in a family context, because how many of you know spouses don't always get along? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, maybe yours do. Maybe I just confessed. Yeah, I don't know. But she reminds me sometimes, and this always, she's got a way of putting it that I'm like, you know what? That's exactly the way it is. She says, you want to if you want to receive grace, you need to show some grace. And I'm just like, ooh. <laughs> because, like, I do like to receive grace, don't you? I mean, I, I, I lose my temper sometimes. I say the wrong thing sometimes. And I, and I try. I've learned to be humble and to apologize. And when I apologize, I'm really hoping for some grace. That means I need to be willing to show that grace. It's a two-way it's a two-way street. But here's what makes it really difficult. It's easy to do that with my wife, right? Let my moderation be, be, be known to her. Yeah, you're right, hon. I, I, can, I can show more grace because you've shown me a lot of grace. But it doesn't say let your moderation be known to those closest to you. It doesn't say let your moderation be known to your spouse, let your moderation be known to your to your coworkers even, or, it, it, or your friends. It says, let your moderation be known unto all men, to everyone. I, and I think a lot of Christians are stressed out, they're angry, they're frustrated, they've got bitterness, and sometimes it's because they're not practicing a simple principle that if I want the kindness of Christ, I've got to let his kindness flow through me. I've got to let it move, because as he's teaching me to be kind to others, guess what? I'm experiencing his kindness and grace in my life. I know there's nothing earth-shattering here, right? This is pretty simple stuff, but, but it's Bible. And it's, it's, we need the peace of God. We say, we say, as we began, I am a C, I'm a Christian, but we're not experiencing the peace of Christ. So he says, first of all here, you can find access to a joy that no one else can understand. Secondly, you can practice kindness with others. And now I love verse number six, where we're taught to replace anxiety with trust. Look at the first statement in verse number six. Be careful for nothing. 
Now, if, you, if you're not careful with how you read this verse, you'll miss it. The, the, in the King James here, we're using a little bit older usage of the word careful. It's the idea of anxiety, or I like to think of it this way, careful means that I am full of care, full of concern, full of fear, full of doubt, full of anxiety, full of worry. And he says, the, the Holy Spirit tells us through the apostle, he says, be careful for nothing. Now notice this, this, these two words put near each other here. Be careful for what? Nothing, but in, all right, you with me? Be careful for nothing, but in everything. So there's a nothing, and then there's an everything. We go from nothing to everything. So he says this, be careful for nothing. What is nothing? What is nothing? Everything. Thank you. <laughs> nothing is everything. Everything that you could possibly have anxiety about. How many of you have got a pretty good list? I do. I've got a list. You know, when, it, when we're kids, we just can't wait to grow up. And then when we grow up, and we keep growing up, and we keep growing up, and we keep growing up, we're like, man, if I could only be a kid again, to live a carefree day out there. Because the lists get high. And you know what? You get these wonderful blessings of the Lord. Isn't it amazing? So, yeah, you're blessed with children. What a blessing. And then a worry. <laughs> you make a little more money. You buy some more stuff. And you're happy about it, but then you've got more to lose. Is this the human condition or what? Right? Jesus would say that Jesus said to the disciples, he said, don't even think about tomorrow because tomorrow will ha has its own concerns. If God clothes, clothes, if God clothes the lilies of the field, he's going to clothe you. If God feeds the sparrows, he's going to feed you. Now, is God, is, is Jesus telling us we should never plan for the future? Of course not. The Bible is filled with wisdom literature that teaches us how to plan and, and how to make the right decisions, all that good stuff. But there is this idea that a believer, we need to live free of anxiety. When I was in college, actually, no, all through my childhood, into my high school years, and then right into my college years, I, was, I always had this fear in my life. Always. It wasn't until college that I was able to get victory over this fear. But throughout my whole childhood, my number one fear was that my parents would die. I think that's a common fear of children, right? It's a real fear. It's a thing that I went, that I would, you know, keep me up at night sometimes and I'd think about that people, and it wasn't, you say, well, maybe it's part of the growing up process. But you know what? I've discovered this that the fears don't just naturally go away. They just get replaced with another fear, right? It wasn't until I listened to some just really solid, got some good biblical counsel, and it was actually in sermons. It wasn't even personally, but somebody pointed this out to me. He said, you know what? The Bible says, the Bible says that all things work together for good to them that love God. That means this. That means that anything that could happen in your life, 
is only God's best for you. Now that's easy to say, right? But it's in moments like this where we have to really let that sink in and think about that. Do you believe that truth? God promises that 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 whatever he now that doesn't we're not talking about making a sinful choice. That's different. You can make I can make a sinful choice in my life that can bring all kinds of difficulty in my life. We're setting that aside. But whatever calamities, whatever difficulties that God would allow in my life, I have to believe and trust. Can I comprehend this? No. But I have to believe that there is a sovereign God that he is above what I can understand, and that whatever he allows is always and only for my eternal good. And if you'll come to believe that in your core, I mean rock solid in the foundation of your soul, your heart, your mind, then that can free you from fear and anxiety. Say, God, I know that you are good, that your will is good, and what you allow into my life is only for my good. We could, and you say, well, what about this or what about that? I understand that that brings up its own set of questions, but that's another conversation for another time. But just the simple truth that God is good, we can replace anxiety with trust. We don't replace anxiety with being a better Christian. Some people think, well, if I just live better, then God won't allow bad things to happen in my life. No, you, no. In fact, that's setting you up for serious disappointment. The truth is this, that in the difficulties of life, he promises to be with us and to work them for his glory and our good. And so that's when we can say, you know what, God? You have this. We trust you. Be careful for nothing. Whatever your list is, take the list and say, God, I'm going to let go of all these things. And then my everything has become nothing, but now it's everything again. Because now, in regards to worry, everything has become nothing. But in regards to prayer, nothing has become everything. He says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known unto God. Replace the worry, replace the fear, replace the uncertainty with trust. Prayer is the ultimate expression of our dependency and trust in God. When we pray, we pray, God, not my will be done, but thy will be done. And in that prayer, we are saying, God, This is the desired outcome that I have, but I am surrendered to your will. And that is the ultimate expression of God. That's why God loves to hear our prayers. Haven't you ever wondered, well, why does God need to hear us pray? After all, he knows what he can... You know what I mean? You've you've had those conversations. Again, we can go round and round with that one as well. I understand. But let's just focus on one thing for a minute, that God loves to hear his people pray. And in our prayer, we're expressing our dependence on him. And the result of that is what we've already read in verse number 7. Back to verse 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 
We're not learning. Listen, you got it. We've already spoken about this verse a little, so I'm not going to park here for very long. But listen, what we're not doing this morning is we're not learning seven helpful tips to eliminate anxiety in your life. We're not learning Christian hacks for getting rid of depression and anxiety. You can find those on, on the internet, in the blogosphere. You can find the hacks and the tricks and the mindfulness exercises and this and that and all these things. If you'll practice this and practice that, we know as believers this, the peace doesn't come through the practice. It comes through the person of Jesus. Keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's not that, well, Jesus taught me all these cool tricks, so now I don't have stress in my life. No, it's that I am in the realm of Jesus, and because of that, I have his peace in my life. Two completely different things. Are there, are there exercises and mental things you can do to help? Sure, sure. And if some of those things help you in different ways, fine. But the point is this, the peace that we're talking about, the true, deep, abiding, spiritual peace, it doesn't come from learning a practice. It comes from being close to the person of Jesus Christ. So you've got to get up. So the only practice that you need is to practice experiencing his presence, to get in his word, to get in prayer, to spend time with him. And we're kept, we're protected, we're secure by his peace. Now, let's get to the practical part because he moves on from this now. So we're starting from a place of, of a healthy soul. So what should we think about what should we do let's talk about thinking and doing in these last two verses now we move on to the thinking and doing part we know it's all sourced in christ but let's see what he wants to accomplish look with me at verse number nine those things i'm sorry verse eight i should have been in verse eight back up to verse number eight finally brethren whatsoever things are can you say it with me whatsoever things are Whatsoever things are, whatsoever things are, whatsoever things are, whatsoever things are of, if there be any, and if there be any, together now, ready? Think on these things. Think on these things. I just got to tell you, if you're stressed out and you want to experience the presence of Jesus, you can't go to bed on Saturday night after watching hours and hours of thriller action television and explosions and things blowing up and people getting killed and expect the peace of God to rule in your heart. I'm just honest. We're in a, we're, now is there, am I saying there's no time in your life where you can have a thrill or, or enjoy, the, no, that's not my point. But my point is this, the meditation of the Christian life is the, the thought processes of the Christian life are outlined for us right here. But we're bombarded with a media culture, are we not? I mean, we are bombarded with a culture that tells us what to look at, what to believe, how to think, how to feel, whether it's social media, whether it's Hollywood and entertainment, or whether it's marketers that are telling us what we need to make us happy and buy their stuff. We are just bombarded with messaging all around us and we wonder why we're so anxious. We wonder why we're so fearful. Because what's happened is we've allowed the voice of the world to replace the voice of Christ in our mind. 
And it used to be pastors would talk a whole lot more about this, but the fact is this, listen, the television that you watch, the media that you consume, the music that you listen to is all conditioning your mind and your soul to think and feel a certain way. So I'm not here to give you a list of what you should and shouldn't watch, what you should and shouldn't listen to. I'm here to tell you, put it to the Philippians 4.8 test. Or just ignore it and miss out on the peace of God. Right? It's not up to me. I'm not here to, I'm not here to bash anybody over the head or say, hey, what's wrong with you? Why are you doing this? That's not my point. My point is the Scripture has given us a formula for experiencing the presence of Jesus in our lives. And it's shown us that there are some peace stealers. There are some joy killers. And they're the opposite of this list. The untrue. The dishonest. Things that are, that are unjust. The impure. Our world is filled with, with sexual impurity. Ugliness. The, 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 whatever the opposite of a good report is. I can't figure that one out, right? A bad report. There you go. Didn't have to be that smart, I guess, after all. Unvirtuous, unpraiseworthy. Those are the, those are the joy killers, the peace stealers. Again, I, I use the word formula, bad, bad word. The point is this, it's the person of Jesus, right? But these things are the anti-formula. These are, the, these, are, these are literally, as the Bible says, the spirit of Antichrist coming in and saying, hey, don't, you're so wrapped up in Jesus, let me bring some other stuff into your life. It, it robs us of joy and of peace. How's your soul? How's your mind and your heart this morning? Thinking and doing. The Bible gives us positive meditation. Isn't that interesting? The world's concept of meditation is to empty the mind. That's When people talk about meditation today, it's to empty the mind, only focus on this very present moment right now. How many of you are familiar with that kind of teaching? Okay, That's not biblical teaching, but meditation is found in the Bible. But it's not about emptying the mind and focusing on my present. It's about filling my mind with the Word of God and filling my thoughts with with the truth of God and his word and focusing on his love for me and his plan for me. It's a purposeful meditation. Positive meditation and purposeful action. Now look at verse number nine. So we move into verse number nine. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, what? Do. How many of you like uh, Bob, the, the comedian Bob Newhart? Remember Bob Newhart? Who remembers who I'm talking about? Anybody? You've got to be over a certain age, right? Do you remember Bob Newhart? So you can YouTube, Google this, YouTube, whatever, later on. But there's the funniest. I, I'm just reminded of this when I saw this verse. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, what's he say? Do them. Well, what's the secret? You know, what step? Yeah, just, you need to do it. Adam showed me a clip the other day. I'll get to Bob Newhart in a second, okay? But Adam showed me a clip the other day of somebody asking a Christian leader, uh, this guy's a, a bit of a YouTube or TikTok, whatever, influencer, Christian guy. And the guy was like, hey, you know, so-and-so, 
I'm really struggling with taking the Lord's name in vain and cursing, and I want, can you offer me some help? He goes on the video and he says, yeah, you should really stop doing that. End of video. Some things are pretty simple, aren't they? So Bob, the Bob New, you can look it up. The, he's, Bob Newhart's a, in this sketch, he's a psychiatrist. And the person comes in, and they unload all the problems, and he says, stop it. And she's like, oh, yeah, but, but, but it's because of my mother, and so I do, stop it. And you got to watch it, the whole thing over and over and over again. He says, stop it, stop it. It's, it's great, look it up. There are some things in the Christian life where you just need to just, hey, Christian, you, you're struggling, you're going through difficulty, you're stressed out, you're anxious, you're worried, and then you look at what's going on in your life, and there's the, you just, hey, just stop doing that. Don't do it. And then there's some other things, hey, just do it. The things that you've both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. Do you ever notice this? When you're in moments of depression, anxiety, one of the biggest things the devil does is tries to get you to stop doing the things that are best for you. I've seen this over and over again. People have difficulty come into their life and they isolate themselves from other believers. They stop going to church. You know what an important step in their emotional recovery would be? Just, it's the Nike slogan, just, just do it. Just get up in the morning and just, just go to church. Get involved, get connected, read your Bible, pray, he says these things, just do them. Why? Because they're the formula? No, because these are the things that bring us closer to the one who gives us the peace. That's an important distinction because you can read your Bible for reading your Bible's sake. You can go to church for going to church's sake, and it's not going to have the same impact. But if you do these things for the purpose of drawing nearer to Christ, then you're going to get his peace his, and his joy. Again, I know I shocked you at the beginning. I am not a doctor. I'm not giving any diagnoses for depression, anxiety, anything like that. That's not my point. But just stop and identify what's going on in your heart and soul and say, well, you know what? I've looked at this solution. I've looked at that solution, and they may be beneficial, but have I looked to Christ in this? Have I also looked to my the care of my soul. Jesus said this. Let me give you this verse. Jesus said right before he was crucified in John chapter 14, he said this to his disciples. What's the word? Peace. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. Now this is interesting. In John 14, Jesus says, I'm going away. I'm going to go away. Going to go prepare a mansion for you. You know that, that passage. But he says, I'm going to leave what with you? Peace. My peace I give unto you. But what? Not as the world giveth. Jesus said, the world has a way of trying to achieve this peace. But mine is a uniquely Christian kind of peace. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. How is all this possible? How can you? The peace of God was purchased on the cross of Calvary. 
This is the most important thing I say. This is the end of the message, so thank you for being with me. But it's the most important thing we say right here at the very end. This peace is only accessible because Jesus purchased it with his blood on the cross. You and I are born into a sinful world. We are sinful people. Because of our sin, we don't deserve any peace. In fact, we are even enemies of God, the Bible says. We're enemies with each other. We're enemies with God. We're enemies of ourselves. We just have this natural condition of animosity because of our sin. But Jesus came and he made a way for us to have peace with God, peace with each other, and peace in ourselves. So two questions. First of all, has there been a time in your life where you have, by faith, received that peace of Jesus? Have you repented of your sin? Have you believed on the name of Jesus and been brought into a relationship of peace with him? If not, that's called being saved. It's called being born again. It's the moment where you go from being an unbeliever to a believer. You go from being the enemy of God to being at peace with God. Has that ever happened in your life? If there's never been a moment where you have accepted God's gift of peace, I want to invite you to do that today. Say, what do I do? Do I, you know, do I have to get baptized? Do I have to take communion? No, it's very simple. You, the Bible says you just believe in Jesus. You confess your sin and you say, Jesus, you pray a prayer, something like this. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I don't deserve your love, but I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again and I ask you to save me. You simply put your faith in Jesus alone. If you've never done that, that is the first step. That is the open door to peace. Without that, there's no hope of peace either in this life or in eternity. You must personally receive Jesus as your Savior. Has that happened in your life? Say, I'm not sure. Make sure today. That's the first question. The second question applies to those who have received the peace of Jesus. Are you walking in his peace? What is the health of your soul this morning? You're saved. You know you have access to joy. You know you have access to peace. Are you walking with Christ? Would you do this with me? We're going to have a time of prayer to end the service. Would everyone just bow their heads and close their eyes now? Heads bowed. Eyes closed. We'll prepare for the end of the service. But could we just reflect on those two questions? First question, have you ever received Jesus as your Savior? If you never have, I want to, whether you're in this room or whether you're watching the video today, you, if there's any doubt in your mind, receive Christ right now. Say, pray to him. Pray, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you died for me and rose again for me. And right now, I ask you, I ask you to save me. My trust is in you and you alone. It's not those words that save anyone. It's the belief in your heart. But would you express that to God? Lord Jesus, please save me. If you have questions and you're still not sure, send us a message or come speak with me after the service. You'd say, well, I want to make sure that I know Christ is my Savior. I'd love to show you from the Bible and answer any questions that you have. Christians, 
Maybe you came in with anxiety, fear, whatever it is. Right now, as the piano plays softly, let's just have a quiet time of prayer. Just ask God to renew his peace in your life. Confess maybe some area that you've wandered away. And just get back into the closeness of relationship that he desires. Lord, we thank you so much for how you speak to us. We thank you, Lord, for the peace that passes all understanding. Lord, I do want to just pray this morning for those who may be struggling this morning that are they're going through a difficulty. Or, Lord, these aren't just words to them. It's, it's a battle going on in their soul. I just pray that your, your peace would rule in their hearts. Just pray that they would know that you're there, that you love them, that your plan is good for them. And Lord, I pray for any who have not received you as Savior, that they would make that decision. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.